and one is practicing or wants one to become and then that particular person actually met face to face with a Buddha. Okay. Buddha is opposition. There are many great beings have become Buddha and they came and they passed away. They came and they passed away. So if one's actually met a living Buddha, first of all, one must meet a living Buddha and then that person has to request, I would like to become a Buddha. They have to request his intention, his desire. And that living Buddha will actually see where that person who is wishing for has the capacity and ability to become a Buddha in the future time. And when he sees fits, and that is the probability are very great, and then that Buddha will say, yes, practice one day at one time, okay? you will become a Buddha. In other words, a living Buddha actually okay, speak out loud and say, practice, one day you will become a Buddha. From now on, you are called Bodhisattva, one who is practicing to become a Buddha. Bodhisattva is Bali pronunciation of Bodhisattva. Sanskrit, Tibetan. That is Bodhisattva according to the Theravada tradition. A person must wish great desire to become a Buddha, must met a living Buddha, and the living Buddha actually say, yes, go on practicing one day, you will become a Buddha. So we need to understand that definition according to the Theravada tradition. So in here we are talking about reflecting about the greatness of a Buddha. And we have a lot more information about the latest, the last one, Buddha Gautama, who became enlightened and passed away over 2,500 years ago. We have a lot of information about it. <clears throat> so that is the, the best spot or the place or the, the Buddha that we can reflect upon. So when does that Buddha Gautama start his okay, journey as a Bodhisattva to become a Buddha? So that is the starting point. Not like everybody decided and practiced and they become a bodhisattva, no. So, let's call it eons and eons of world cycles ago, there was a Buddha. That Buddha's name is called Deepankara Buddha. Deepankara Buddha, he was there and like all Buddhas, he got enlightened and then he went round and round everywhere that he can reach. And then he preached the same Dharma, the Dharma what everybody, every Buddhist teach or taught. 
is exactly the same, nothing different. The Four Noble Truth. Okay? The Four Noble Truth, how to get out of sansara, how to eliminate all forms of physical and mental suffering. Exactly the same, the same technique, the same method, the same approach. So Dipendra Buddha was going in the region where he was born and he's teaching and teaching. His names and his fame spread wide. And at that time there was a hermit. That hermit name was Sumedha. Sumedha, hermit was there. And he heard about Buddha. He is going around and then teaching and a lot of a lot of living beings, a lot of humans, they benefit a lot from his teaching and got released from this realms of suffering. He heard it and he also heard that he worked so hard, okay, day and night, day and night, only rest about two or three hours a day, seven days a week. From the moment he became a Buddha till he died. So those kind of news here, and he's got a great admiration for that Dipendra Buddha, he heard about it. And also this hermit is not an ordinary hermit. He has practiced Samatha meditation, concentration of meditation or fixed meditation, fixed concentration meditation. And he practiced that and he has attained the highest level, okay, the eight jhana. So he has the highest level of jhana, okay, absorption, which means he has a lot of psychical power. Okay. Can hear when nobody could hear, can hear sounds from distant, can see in a distance land, can go through the mountains, walk on water, those kind of things, what we call miracles. And these miracles are the manifestation of jhana. So he has attained all these things already. So he's not an ordinary person or ordinary hermit. And one day he heard that uh, Buddha is traveling through the land, <coughs> through the land where he is living and all the people are preparing the path of the road where the Buddha is going to traverse. Everybody line up, make the road prepare, and flowers and so on. Over there it is not actually a path as origin. Some are rocks and some have trees and some have puddles and some have water and so on. So everybody take a little segment wherever they could let's say 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, and they prepare that path. And also the Sumedha Hamid, he take a portion of that area and he prepared. And as he has psychical power, he could have just make it very easy, you know, more like an instant. But he didn't use his psychical power, he actually used his normal physical, okay, 
physical effort and repair the road. And that section, there's a lot muddy and there's some water and puddles and stuff like that. Who's preparing, preparing? And the Buddha came. And the last moment, there's still a little puddle left. Still a little puddle left. And at that moment, it's not finished. So he decided, no, I'm going to make sure. And he laid himself over the little puddle and asked the Buddha to walk over him and all the monks as well. And at the same time, too, near there, there was a, uh, a lady near that section, another lady. That another lady was also preparing and offering uh, flowers, like lotus flowers. And the monk has nothing, so that lady shared three of the lotus flowers to that hermit. So the hermit took that flowers and then lay down and then asked the Buddha to walk over him. Okay. And he said, because of this okay, wholesome act, because of what he has done, may I become a Buddha one time and be able to help and save as many people, as many living beings, as this Buddha Dipinra is. That is the wish he wished. He actually asked. And in here, just to cut in, I've been asked at one time or the other. Some people say, oh yeah, he's um, he wants to become a Buddha and that's why he asked and that is his ego that he is asking. His ego that he is asking. And he has the craving to become a Buddha and so on. That kind of line of questions are coming. Actually, one of the person actually asked that question. So in here, this hermit, okay, he has attained all the eight jhanas. All that he needs to do is, he just needs to hear the teaching of the Buddha. It could even be a, a line, a phrase. And then he could actually become an arahat and release from all form of suffering. He has that capacity, but he abandoned, he abandoned and renounced that opportunity and ask to become a Buddha. And the reason is not that he wants a title of a Buddha, because he actually seen and heard how many living beings have benefited. Okay, for us, as we can only see human beings, but with the jhanic power, he can even see other beings, devas and brahmas, they have benefit and they have escape from the cycle of birth and death. And he saw that and it inspired him and he wants to do the same kind of thing. In other words, a great compassion arose in him and for that reason he asked that wish. And when he asked that the Buddha look at him, okay, his parami, and then see that he could become a Buddha. And actually it is very specific. 
okay, from how many eons from now on, how many world cycles from now at that one time, at one place, and you will be Kama Buddha with the name of Gautama Buddha. Okay, he just actually predict his future. And not only that, there was the, a lady who shared, who gave him the three flowers. And he looked at that, uh, the Buddha looked at that lady and he can see her parami as well. And two of them would walk together throughout, throughout Sansara. Okay. Till he became a Buddha, it will be a, a parameter the one who practice together, support one another to attain that. And then he also, the Buddha also predicted that, I mean, two of you will cross many times throughout the sansara, and you will, you mean that the woman will support and all this perfection and the process of perfection. And in his last life, he will also be his wife. Up to that level, the Buddha predicted, and that's it. So the point here is making is that person could escape from sansara at that moment, but he renounced that opportunity and he goes through eons and eons of one cycle of suffering to become a Buddha. And the reason to become a Buddha is not that he wants that title. He wants to help and save as many living beings as possible with the great compassion he has. And he did a great sacrifice. You just imagine he is a hermit with great power okay, and that level. And from then on, till he becomes a Buddha, he goes many realms of birth and death. In those many realms of birth and death, there are times he is a human being, there are times he is a king, there are times he is a poor, a beggar, there are times he is a devil, there are times he is an animal, a cow, a monkey, a peacock, a bird, and so on. That's the cycle. It is not that straight up from then on having a great life, the great power, and become a Buddha. He has to go up and down and up and down and up and down the cycle in this sansara. There are good lives, there are bad lives, there are tough lives, there are suffer lives. It become even an animals. He knows that those will be, he'll be facing it, but he vows to take all these things in the process of perfection to become perfect, to become perfect in terms of three accomplishment. Okay. Accomplishment of cause, accomplishment of causes to become a Buddha, accomplishments of result, okay. being a Buddha, and accomplishment of service as a Buddha. These three accomplishments. To have these three accomplishments, he has to go around many, many, many cycles of life and suffer a lot. And in the process, he's learning and he's learning and he's learning and he's perfecting and he's perfecting. 
And some of the lives are actually told, and it's in the scripture. Specifically, uh, some significant life, significant life in a sense of where we can learn a lesson. Okay. They are about, they call it 500 Jataka. In other words, stories, stories about his life's body there, but there's a very specific story that the Buddha told okay, the audience whenever at appropriate time, at appropriate place, what happened. Okay. One time I was a cow, one time I was a bird, one time I was a peacock, one time I was a monkey, and then the story is told. And whenever these stories are told, there's always a lesson. And at the same time, he is perfecting all his qualities, all the positive mental state, positive mental qualities. These are what he's doing. He's not purposely doing it, um, the whole general Linus says, but he has to walk his way up in whatever condition he was reborn, in a good state or in a bad state. Okay, so there are 500 stories in the scripture told, and each one has the storyline where he's perfecting his wisdom, all mental states, and also there's a lesson to learn. One of the, okay, among all these stories, one of the story is while he was a monkey, a monkey king. He was a monkey king, stay in the forest. And then uh, one day he heard uh, a man crying out loud. He was in the crevice, he fell down in the crevice, and that person cannot climb up cannot climb up at his trouble and uh, finally if he left there he would die and the monkey saw that guy and then he felt the compassion, pity for that. So I'm going to save this uh, person and what he did was he jumped down into the crevice and before he bring that man up he just wanted to make sure whether he could really do it or not. So what he did was he carries a series of different rocks of weight, one heavier than the other, eventually comes to the, so to speak, about the weight of that man who is falling. He carries that rock on his back and then he jumps from the bottom of the crevice to the top and finally he knows that he can manage it. And only when he knows that he can manage it, he carries that uh, man on his back and he jumped and carried up. So the man was saved, but the monkey at that time was really tired. As he was tired because of all this carrying and jumping, he just lie down and sleep. And when he was lying down and sleep, that man looked at it. Wow, now I am safe. Oh, this monkey must be a stupid monkey. And when I go home, uh, I need some food, some meat, okay, especially meat, for my family. So this is a perfect opportunity. He's sleeping right now and he pick up a rock and hit the head of the monkey so that he could kill the monkey and take the meat home. 
So he is the monkey, but it's not uh, fatal. It's a it crack, blood, and the monkey just pushed back. And he said, why are you doing that? I just saved you from your, um, from your death. And uh, the, the man said, ah, I know that, but I'm um, sorry, but I need some meat for my family. That's why I have to carry you back. And the man, at that moment, the monkey wasn't angry or he doesn't have any animosity or aversion. He just simply feel pity for that, uh, for that man. And that he was about to leave. And then he knows that in this forest there's a lot of danger. And this person has got lost and he won't be able to find his way to go back. So what he said was still, with all these uh, doings trying to kill him, he still have compassion for that man. And he said, okay, you just stay at a distance and look at my blood dripping line and follow it and then it will get you to a safe place. So the monkey went ahead and the man followed the trails of the blood and when he got closer to a spot at the edge of the forest near the village, the man said, okay, you may leave and the man just left and carried on. So that kind of practice Forgiveness, forgiveness, that kind of perfection. And then even a person who kill, who try to kill you, he has a forgiveness and a great compassion and still save the life of others. These kind of little stories, each certain mental states, whether it's how to overcome jealousy or envy, how to have a forgiveness, how to have patience, how to have effort, and so on. There are 500 tales, you can call it tales. And each has its own little lessons or points people can learn. And especially children, when you told them a story, it really sinks into the children. So that kind of thing you can read and learn and from there certain people can take some lesson from it because we all have weak points and whenever story come and touch that weak point you can really reflect on it and you can inspire yourself and also they are they call it jataka another one is called ten story as a human being and story is now this one has become very close to his Buddhahood. I'm not saying that this life and life before. And in there is the ten of them. Ten of them and each life they have a big story. And uh, in Burma, uh, in the scripture is very precise in writing. In Burma, the people who are good with words, novelists or writers, they will actually write a big novel. Okay? The facts are remain the same, they just painted the words and so on. And uh, in some cases, while we are, I don't know about nowadays, while I was in I saw high school, that's about 50, 60 years ago. Actually, we even have a, as a, what you call one of the lesson or one of the class, one of the subject, we have to take it. 
that kind of a thing. And one thing is called Kemi. Kemi, his name is Kemi, and he's a, a prince. But as he is very mature and parami, you already see the uh, downfalls of life, unwholesomeness, wholesomeness, how life condition is. And since he was born and when he came to, he sees these, all these uh, atrocity and unwholesomeness. And as a human, especially as a king and prince will come in. And what he decided is he decided to keep, to see silence. He doesn't speak a word because when he speaks, then he has to start engaging in it. As he didn't speak, the king and everybody eventually they try with all these um, physicians and stuff like that, but no words come out. So finally the king said, no, a prince cannot be a, but you're dumb, cannot speak uh, person, and he won't be able to take the, what you call, kingdom. So finally, he was driven out of the city and being disinherited, and the story can carry on. But in that life, he has practiced this silence, total silence, because he is abhorred of all unwholesomeness. Yes, I'm just keeping the main point of it in one life. And another life, his name is Janaka. Janaka. Janaka is, uh, his parami is effort and energy. He was a trader. He was a trader going in the oceans and then with all other sailors and then caught in a big storm. And in the ocean, and so what he did was, uh, when they come in, some people screaming, worried, they said, he thinks about what should I do? And the best he can do was he just put on a very tight uh, clothing and put oil all over him, butter all over him, climb up to the top of the mast and jump as far away as possible from the ship and he swim. He can't see any shore whatsoever. Definitely swimming in the ocean is a fruitless. But he swam, day swam, second swam, third day. And then there was a day where this guy is swimming, but still, totally he's, he knows that it's useless, but he just doesn't stop, swim, swim, swim. So even the day where comes in and he talks, discouraging, talk, why are you doing that? You are going to die, why are you going to what? In other words, he put every discouraged word so that he would abandon his effort. But this man didn't, Janaka didn't abandon. He swam and he swam for eight days, he swam and finally on the eight days he got fainted. And at that moment, on the day was said, this is an unusual person. He never lose his heart, he never lose effort, even though he knows that it is in vain. So he saved and put it on the shore. So that's one of these stories in here. The whole story is about how he has perfected his effort to that what level, that kind of thing. And then another one is called Suvanashan. Suvanashan is, and here is a, a very young, talented, beautiful, attractive a male, young male. Okay, he's great and everything, everybody wants him, but he has parents, both are blind, and because of that, okay, 
and anybody who is going to marry him, this will become a baggage. Nobody wants to marry him, but everybody urged him to abandon, but he didn't. He took and finally took his two parents and he looked after his blind parents. That kind of a thing. It's a gratitude, a perfection of gratitude. That kind of story. And one is called Mahosatha, and here is perfection of wisdom. Those are, of course, you have to read the books, and when you read the books, it's really uh, inspiring. Is the intelligence and how he uses intelligence and outsmart, outgun, and then outrule anything with the wholesome way. And with Sandra, and there he perfect his uh, generosity. He was a king, so he gave a lot of donations, feed the people, feed the hungry, feed the poor, and so on. And um, people hear that he, this king gives a lot, very generous, so people come and come. Even other countries came and asked, because he has a white elephant. A white elephant is supposed to be the but uh, people, kings who have white elephants can never be conquered. But if they want to conquer others, it can easily be done. The other king then asked for the white elephant, he just gave it away. Take it. So finally his cabinet got a little bit alone. Okay. This king is really breaking the country down. The treasury will go bankrupt. So finally they decided to outstep him. So he was driven out of the country. They um, only his wife and two children he went with them. He went and, uh, along with them and lived in the forest. It doesn't matter. And then somebody heard about this and then came and asked and uh, they, they asked for donation. He has no money to give, so he asked for his two children. He just gave his two children away. And another he went away and, oh, if I got two children, why not? And he, that man went back again and then asked for his wife and he just gave his wife away. So he gave everything and their lives, he gave his only life away. Of course, when those people come, get close to the village and town and uh, the person who got these things, uh, they just go into the, uh, what you call, slavery trading place and sell the children. But people knew and heard about it and finally, uh, their uncle heard about it and they just came and they came back to the city. So in here, in this life is called Visandra. That is perfection and giving away. So there's are stories and stories and stories. Okay? And for people who doesn't want to practice too much or too deep and do the practice, but live, read the stories and then take lessons from it and they try to perfect according to how the Buddha-to-be has lived his life. And uh, from these things you can get inspired. From these things you know how to live correctly. From these things how to, you know how to be wholesome and what to avoid. How not to have anger, how to be forgiven, how to have kanti, patience and so on. So there are so many things, all these things he's practicing, 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 life after life after life. 
and that is called causes. These are the causes. Okay? What he practiced are all the causes to become a Buddha. To become a Buddha, you cannot be anything in every aspect of mental state. Nothing can be less than 100% in perfection in all aspects of mental states. So this is called accomplishments of causes. And he has to fulfill every requirement. He has to perfect all his mental states to the fullest. And when he has perfected all, perfected all, in the last life, in the last life is called Siddhartha Gautama. In the Siddhartha Gautama, in that life. And even that, he renounced his kingdom. Okay. He's renounced his princehood, he renounced life, he renounced everything and took a hermit life and went into the forest to practice. He practiced and then after he left, it took him six years and finally he got enlightened. When he got enlightened, he got a, a, a wisdom, it's called Sama Sambuddhasa. We just always say Namotasa, Bhagavato, Arahato, Sama Sambuddhasa. Sambuddhasa is the, the wisdom or the knowledge or intelligence. Anything, any questions, any problems, if he inclined his mind to that problem or to that question, he spontaneously knows the answer. We call it spontaneously, but it is not spontaneous. Everything is cause and effect. But speak is so much okay, to us, it seems like spontaneous. You see the answer very clearly. That is the knowledge called Sama Sambuddhasa. And when he attained that knowledge, Sama Sambuddhasa, that is called accomplishments of result. All these eons and eons of all cycles of life practice all the causes he has done. That's the accomplishment of causes and here is accomplishments of result. He finally attained that okay. wisdom. Any problem, any questions, he inclined the mind into the question or the problem he automatically or instantly know the answer. That kind of intelligence level, okay, from a modern day, the highest IQ level you can ever imagine, that kind of, and that is called accomplishment of result, second accomplishment. And of course we all know another title is called Rahat or Arhan. He has uprooted Loba, Dosa and Moha, mental defilements totally. Okay, they are not, there's no traces of mental defilements in that person. That's called Arahat. Okay, Sama Samudasa. And also his, his name, also known as Buddha. Buddha is he who knows the Four Noble Truth. Okay. Buddha means he who knows. What does he know? He who knows the Four Noble Truth by himself without the teacher, 
That's the first step. And secondly, he is able, is able to teach other people about what he has discovered. Only then, when he can turn around and share with everybody, it's called Buddha. He must know by himself without a teacher, and he must turn around and teach other people. That is called Buddha. And there are many other qualities, but these are the ones that is quite important to know. He who knows the full noble truth without the teacher and turn around and share with all others. He who has the wisdom to know any problem or solution but just by inclining the mind. He has one who has abandoned all mental defilement, loba, dosa and moha. And then he became a Buddha. He became a Buddha at the age of 35. And then he passed away at the age of 80, 45 years. You know, he's a princess. Not only that he is a princess, uh, his father wants him to be the king. And they have persuaded, and many instances, even after he became a Buddha, they still persuade him. They try to tempt with the kingdom, they try to tempt with his wife, they try to tempt him with his son, and so on. But nothing can move him. He abandoned that luxurious life, and he lived a life of a hermit. Life of a hermit means life of a beggar. Beggar owns nothing, the hermit owns nothing except the clothes on their body, and a plate or a bowl to eat, and a cup to drink that kind of life he choose. Not only that he choose that, he sleeps only two to three hours a night. During the day he teaches all the humans and you will see in a lot of sutra at night, especially after midnight, devas come. Devas are like uh, we are very inferior beings compared to deva. Let's say um, you are there and um, what would be the good idea? Okay, there's a skunk there. You don't want to go near the skunk because it's really stink. Just like that day where the smell of the human being are like skunk to us, our smell is just like them for the day was. So they try to avoid human as much as they could. The higher they were, not the lower. Uh, the lower level they were. So at nights, that's when they come and they ask questions, they ask Dharma and so on. Only just before dawn, two to three hours he slept. And he walks endlessly, 45 years, non-stop, no break, no day. And he walks and he walks and he walks for the benefit of others he teach. And he teaches, and he is one of his quality, he is the master teacher of all time. Because he can size up a person and know exactly what button to push so that that person would become enlightened. He knows what is the niche. Sometimes he might push for the effort, sometimes he might push for the compassion, sometimes he might push for determination, because that's all that's it. Because these people who has approached are already quite, uh, they are practitioners of various different religions. 
yeah, have a lot of um, concentration, meditation, they are quite concentrated. So it's just a matter of giving them the right view. And he is the master teacher. He can teach anybody so that they can benefit the best. And he, he taught, he taught, he taught. And even in his last, on his deathbed, he's dying. And even his dying, you know, his attendants pushed everybody away. But there was one, um, let's call it, uh, one hermit, he came and he once listened from Buddha. And then say so they come in and they say, I want to see the Buddha before he died. And he was, Buddha was dying. And the other monk said, no. And he heard it and then he called his attendant Ananda, what's happening? Oh, this guy, uh, it's called Parabites. Parabites is uh, something between a monk and a hermit, I guess. Oh, he wants to see, let him in. And on his deathbed, he taught that person and then that person become Arahat. That is the last Arahat okay, who has gone out of this cycle of the world. And even to this last breath, he taught and he teach and he works for the benefits of others. And that's why it is called in English, the accomplishments of service. He has three accomplishments. Accomplishment of cause, accomplishment of result, and accomplishment of service. So if you really study the history of Buddha, it's really inspiring. And then some story will inspire you more than the other. And by reflecting upon those things that has a great effect upon you, your energy, your effort will arise. And that's how you can resent your effort. So in here, number six, I spent a lot of time on the Buddhas so that you can hear the uh, very just brief story about how Buddhas came to be and how he lived his life and how he died. It's really inspiring. And the number seven point, how to arouse your energy. And in here is the same thing. And here you reflect upon the great monks who had lived okay, throughout centuries. First and foremost, we know like Shinsari, Putarashan, Mangalana, his left hand and right hand disciple. You can read their story and how they put effort, how they put their wisdom, and how they do. Shemaha Kasapa is the monk. After the Buddhist died, he is the lead monk who collect everybody, about almost uh, 701 million monks, and out of that they collected 500 and put all the Buddhist teaching together. Those kind of monks' effort. Today we have what we are studying and practicing. And also in each country, let's say in Sri Lanka, in Burma, in Thailand, there are great monks who passed away. Locally, it's very famous. You can reflect upon it in Burma too. Uh, okay. And the one that West know is called Mahasi Seattle. It is our teacher's teachers. He's the one who really 
popularized this, we call it the slow method in the West, Satipatthana Vipassana, the Buddha's teaching. But he put it in such a way to spread to the West. He has to spread not just by one line or one phrase or one technique. He packaged with the, a lot of the sutras and intelligence and information packed together. The West, they like to understand quite deeply before they jump into what they do. So he really packaged a really nice package until today, whatever I'm talking, that's what I heard from my teachers. That's what that mom, Mahasi Siyaro, has done. So we can reflect upon him. And also in Burma, we have a called Mogok Siyaro. There's another Vipassana technique, Mogok. And if you like, read his life story. It was about 1900 to 1950, 60, I guess. Uh, it's very inspiring. And there's another monk called Webu Siyaro. He's also Arahat, but this Arahat is the Bodh uh, Samatha Vipassana. There are many witnesses. He actually can see them. Many people have seen him flying and those things like that accidentally. So they are great monks with your inclination. You can study about them, you can read about them, you can practice how they have set. And those kind of reflection can rouse your energy, second energy. That is number seven. Number eight. Number eight is, okay, now people who likes to, let's see, belongs to club, or I, I belongs to the old wise club, or I belongs to this uh, Greenpeace club, I belong to this, the identity, give identity. Okay. And with that identity, by belonging to a certain thing, those people have more energy, more zeal to do what they are doing. So like that too, we can identify we belong to a club, okay? we belong to a lineage, a club or lineage of what? Lineage of Arya, a club that belongs to the Buddha. Okay? The club there is called Pisika Buddha. Pisika Buddha is their Buddha. They discover the Four Noble Truth by themselves, but they do not have enough capacity to turn around and teach and spread like the Four Buddha. And also there are Agasawaka, great disciples, and there are some significant disciples, and there are also Arahats. We can study, reflect about these things, and they are the one that belongs to this lineage, the Buddhas and his associated lineage, and we belong to that club. Okay. How can we belong to that club? We belong to that club is, what are we doing? We are practicing Satipatthana Vipassana, mindfulness, insight, meditation. And as you all know, mindfulness, insight, meditation, if you do it correctly, there's the Eightfold Noble Path in every observation. This Eightfold Noble Path, this mindfulness, insight, meditation, is the practice, practiced by the Buddha, practiced by the junior Buddha, practiced by all these great monks, practiced by all the arhats who have passed. 
And as we practice the same practice, we belong to that club. We belong to that lineage. And some people like to identify in that sense. And if that's the case, that is one way to arouse your energy. Okay, number eight. Number nine. Number nine is avoid lazy people. Avoid lazy people. That's very important. Because if you associate with lazy people, your energy will go lower and lower and lower and gone. Okay, even in a retreat, you just look at it. You're practicing and then there's always a yogi. Okay, who little like to go and talk here or talk there. Sometimes you go and sit here or sit there, sit in the sun, or sometimes you sneak away and walk, uh, walk for about uh, a mile or so, and so on. And just to give a little break themselves. And from the practice point of view, that's laziness. Okay, some like to go to bed as soon as uh, this is the time you can go to bed at 9.30, 9.30, you are right there, that, that kind of thing. So, if you associate with them, automatically you will become like them as well. That is number nine. Number ten is associate with industrious people, wise people, industrious or wise people. That's also very important. To put it right on the dot, many of you have been to the retreats. And you are all practicing, 10 of you, 20 of you, 30 of you, 50 of you. And there are some people who really, who walk, who get up long before the bell strike. They are already there. And they, when they go to bed, they go to bed at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. And if you associate with them, associate means you don't have to sit down and have a tea and talk. Just being with them. That effort, that diligence that they are doing automatically rub on you and automatically inspire you. That's why it's very important to not to associate with lazy people and associate with hard-working people. Buddhists put that in many different ways. Don't associate with the fool, associate with the wise. And here is specifically with the energy and effort. The same thing, the fool and the wise, the lazy people and hardworking people. You know, it has a great effect. Don't think it is what you call mediocre effect. Even here, okay, you all know there are about 10 to 15 people who come every week and practice. And then they all come in regularly and somebody disappear. Somebody disappear for quite a few weeks, they don't come. It affects other people. Okay? You don't think obviously, and some people even out loud, oh what happened? Why is not coming? Why is she not coming? And so on. That means that affect the absence of that person affects the other. And at the same time, there's another person who's come all the time, who's always eager and always looking forward and working hard, coming, and then your energy arises. The group energy, everybody putting the energy and effort, automatically 
spread to the other. It's so we are all interdependent. And when somebody got missing and disappeared, the moral goes down in the group. What happened? What happened? What happened? That's why I always put an effort to explain who is not coming, what is not coming, why is not coming, and so on. Because our mind travels a mile a minute and we try to think and perceive in many ways we could. So that is number 10. Number 11, incline your mind towards energy, incline your mind towards effort. Okay, always, I'm going to walk hard, I'm going to put a lot of effort. That kind of mind is always inclined. Incline your mind towards that. Okay. How do we, how do you incline your mind towards energy and effort? Okay, you can say, yeah, I will walk hard, that's about it. But there are ways to do it. Okay. Let's see, let's put a little scenario. Whatever I do, I'm not going to make it mediocre. I'm going to make it special. I'm going to make it unique. I'm going to make it extraordinary. Whatever I do, simplest thing to the most complex nature, whatever I do, I'm going to make it something special. And if you have that kind of a mindset, that automatically incline your mind towards energy and effort. Very simple. I'm going to do my best, whatever I do. Even cleaning the dishes, I'm going to do my best. Even solving a great mathematical problem, I'm going to do my best. Just by putting that mindset it's automatically pumping up energy in you. That is how you incline your mind towards efforts and energy. So this is the part two. Altogether, 11 different kind of scenarios our elders have laid down for us. How to arouse energy well, uh, when our energies are low and down and waning. So may all of you be able to use whatever is suitable for you and knows how to arouse energy whenever it is weak, waning, and dull. And be able to practice Satipatthana Vipassana precisely and correctly and attain Nibbana as soon as possible. Sadhu. Sadhu, Sadhu, Dhamma Mujini, Dhamma Mujini.